Well, it's easy to be at home here. You folks have made me feel like I belong, and, and I appreciate it so much. I, I got to say that I am fed up with St. Joseph, though. Preacher took me to steak last night, and I was so full I couldn't wiggle. And then we went to Mexican food today, and I went back. I couldn't even lay down. I tried to lay down, and it hurt. I asked Preacher if he could help me. He said, I am not going to rub your belly. So, any rate, it, thank you for all the things you've done. Uh, it is awesome that the way you've treated me, and I want to thank you especially for making me part of your mission's family. Uh, it, is, it is an honor. This, this church has been a real influence in my entire ministry, and to have you as, and to be part of your family now really is a blessing to me. Now, if you were here this morning uh, during Sunday school, you know I had a little bit of trouble with microphones, so I have a backup plan, okay? And Brother Rodriguez gave me a backup plan. So if, if things don't work out, we can, we, we can go with the backup plan. Amen? any rate, I got to tell you, I feel more at home here than I do any, most of the churches that I go to. Uh, you've, you've put me right at ease, and, and uh, I'm, I'm just comfortable here, and, and I appreciate it very, very, very much. Now, I do want to say thank you especially for taking me on for support. Uh, I, I got to tell you, I need it, and, and I'll just be honest with you, I need it. Brother Marshall ruined my life, okay? He... He came to the Yukon, and I, I, have, I have railed on people that drink fufu coffee. You know what fufu coffee is, right? Amen. I have railed on people that drink that stuff. And, and Brother Marshall comes up there, and he says, Brother Larry, can, can, can we go to Starbucks? And I go, I don't go to Starbucks. You've got to know four different languages to order. Okay, you can't just go in there in English and say, can I have a large coffee? They look at you like a calf looking at a new gate. They don't have any idea what you said. You have to order a, a grande, Felipe, I don't know what, all the other junk on it. And, and so Brother Marshall says, can we go in there? And I go, yeah, I'll take you there. I mean, you're the guest speaker. I'll. So I took him over there. He says, Brother Larry, let me buy you a coffee. And I said, no. I said, if... If you buy it, the last time somebody bought me one of these foo-foo coffees, I poured it out right in front of them. I tasted it, and I, I said, if you buy it, and I don't like it, I'll pour it out. He says, if I buy it and you don't like it, go ahead and pour it out. And so he bought me, and I had to memorize this. It took me a long time to get this down. A triple grande white chocolate mocha with no whip, no foam, and 180 degrees. He said, you got to make it 180 degrees for it to taste right. And so... He bought that. He has cost me $7 a day ever since that day. <laughs> I got hooked on that stupid stuff. And now I have, I can't, and he told me what to do. And, and, and you can't think of it as coffee because it ain't. Okay? You have to think of it as a, a hot milkshake. And you, it, 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 then it's good. But any rate, uh, yeah, Brother Marshall ruined my life. He cost me $7 a day every day for the rest of my life. So thank you, Brother Marshall. All righty. I just had to get that out. Any rate, no, I, uh, I appreciate Brother Marshall. He, is, he has been a blessing to me. 
and I appreciate this church. Thank you very, very, very much. All right, take your Bible and open, if you will, to the book of sec- or 1 Samuel. I'm sorry, 1 Samuel. We seem to be in the book of Samuel this week or this Sunday. 1 Samuel, and I want to go all the way to the end of the chapter, chapter number 31. Not quite the very last chapter, but close to the end of the chapter. And I want to begin reading, or chapter 30, I'm sorry, I said 31, chapter 30. And I want to begin reading at verse number 1. If you found the place, would you stand with me uh, by way of reverence for God's word, number 1 and number 2. It might be a long time before you get to sit down again or stand up again. I... uh, preacher told me I had to be done by 7 because most of you have breakfast before you go to work, so I'll be done by 7. <laughs> Amen. All right. Verse number 1, chapter 30, verse number 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziglag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and, and Ziglag and had smitten Ziglag and burned it with fire. And had taken the women captives that were therein, they slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. And then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captives. Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And the Bible says, and David was greatly distressed. Now, I want to stop right there. And I know that's just halfway through a verse, but I want to preach on that one line. And David was greatly distressed. I, I got to tell you, if there's an understatement anywhere in the Bible... And and I don't believe there are. But if there is an understatement anywhere in the Bible, this has got to be it. And David was greatly distressed. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, God, we come before your throne. And Father, I do thank you for your mercy and goodness. I pray that tonight that you would uh, speak through me, that your word would go forth in power. God, that you would use me in a mighty way and that that you would speak to the hearts of these your people. God, they don't want to hear from me. Father, they want to hear from you. And so, Father, I pray that you would hide me and use me as a tool in your hand and that you would uh, get glory and honor from all that's done. And we'll praise you for it now in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. The Bible says, and David was greatly distressed. Now, you know, I, uh, I thought about that. And, and I, I, like I say, I, I believe it's, it's, uh, if there's no such thing as an understatement in the Bible. But if there is, this has got to be it. You say, well, what do you mean David was greatly distressed? Why is that such a big deal? Well, I don't know if you've thought about this or not. But let me tell you what's gone on here. When David was a little boy, he was taking care of sheep in the pasture. And there was a king on the throne by the name of Saul. And God got angry with Saul. Saul did not obey. Preacher preached on it this morning. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Saul did not obey God. He, he disobeyed God. And God went to Samuel, the prophet, and he said, I'm done with Saul. I do not want him as king anymore. I'm done with him. I want you to go down to a little town called Bethlehem. There's a guy down there by the name of Jesse. He's got some sons, and one of his sons is going to be the next king of Israel. I want you to go down there and anoint his son king of Israel. And, and Samuel said, Lord, if I go down there and do that, Saul's going to kill me. 
He says, well, what you do is you take all of those boys and you go out in the wilderness and, and, and he says, and you anoint him out in the wilderness. And, and Samuel said, but Lord, which one do I anoint? He said, I'll tell you when you get there. You just go and do what I tell you. And so Samuel went down there and he found Jesse, a farmer. He said, Jesse, he said, you are one blessed man. One of your sons is going to be the next king of Israel. And Jesse goes, my sons? He says, yes, sir. He says, which one is it going to be? And Samuel said, I don't know. We're going to go out in the wilderness, and I'm going to sit down on a rock, and you're going to march them boys by. And when they come by one at a time, God will tell me which one it is, and I'll anoint him. And so they went out in the wilderness, and on the way out there, Jesse says, hey, I know which one it's going to be. It's going to be Eliab. Man, he is, he is tall. He's handsome. He's, he's smart. He, I mean, he's king material. And Samuel said, well, I, I don't know. We'll see. So they get out in the wilderness, and the first one that he marches by is going to be Eliab. Jesse says, I'm going to cut this short. And he sends Eliab by. And when Eliab comes by, I wasn't there, but I can see Samuel. Like I say, I like to visualize this. I can see Samuel as he looks up and he sees Eliab coming. He goes, wow, that's really king material. I mean, he even walks like a king. He looks like a king. He carries himself like, that's got to be him. And he takes that little horn of oil and he pulls the cork out of it and he starts to stand up and God says, that's not him. Don't anoint him. And he goes, oh. Puts that cork back in the horn and he sits back down. And they march all those other boys by one at a time. And, 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 and those boys all go by and God doesn't say anything about any of them. And, 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 and Samuel goes, wait a minute, wait a minute. He says, Jesse, something's wrong here. You've marched all these boys by and not one of them is the one that God said he wanted. He says, now God doesn't lie. You've got to have another son somewhere. And Jesse goes, well, yeah, but you don't want him. He's just a little ruddy runt. I mean, he, 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 you, don't, you don't want him. And Samuel said, we, we are not going to sit down. We are not going to eat. We are not going to do anything until you get that kid here. You send somebody to go get him. Bring him in here. And so they brought in this little ruddy kid. You know what ruddy means? Red. So he's a little red-headed Jew boy. Amen. He, he, he comes in, and as he's walking up there to Samuel, he walks up to Samuel, and, and as he walks up, he, he's been out in the sheep. He's dressed in his sheep clothes. And, and, and by the way, shepherds, even in Israel, were the bottom of society. Okay, and so here's this shepherd boy coming up, and God says, that's him, anoint him. Now, I can see Samuel go, huh? Are you sure, God? Now, Samuel didn't do that, but I mean, I visualize that. Huh? And, and Samuel says, or God says, Samuel, anoint him. He pulls the cork out of that horn, and he walks up to that little boy, and he pulls the cork out. And he pours that oil on his head. And the oil ran down his head. And he, listen, anointed David, king of Israel. Now, now listen to me. This is important that you get this. He didn't anoint him to become the king. As soon as that oil touched his head, he was king. Right then. Not a minute later. Now Samuel, or Samuel went back to Shiloh, and Saul was still seated on the throne. But David was the king, and he had to go back and take care of the sheep. He was king of Israel, and he's taking care of the sheep. And the Bible says, and David was greatly distressed. 
after a little while, the Bible says that the Lord sent a spirit of evil on Saul. And Saul, the, his, all of his counselors told him, you need to get somebody in here to play music. And by the way, let me tell you something. I appreciate this music in this church. Music is extremely powerful. Don't you ever think it's not. You watch like a hawk what your kids listen to. You, you watch that. You, take, you, you make double ding-dong sure what they're listening to because music is powerful. Now, that's kind of a sideline message, but, but I want you to get that. And so they tell Saul, they say, listen, you need to get somebody in here playing the right kind of music to get rid of that evil spirit. And he said, well, I don't know who to bring in. I don't know anybody. And they said, well, we know this one kid. He plays the harp and he can sing. He's, he's, he's brilliant at music. He says, why don't you get him to come? And Saul says, well, who is it? He said, oh, it's David. And so they call for David and David comes into the throne room there. And he literally has to play music for the man sitting on his throne. Now think about that. How many of you ever had to train your own boss? He's playing to, 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 to comfort the guy that's seated on his throne. And the Bible says, and David was greatly distressed. I, I, are you beginning to get a picture here? I mean, that's just some of it. And then, to make matters worse, Saul gets angry with David and literally throws spears at him to try to kill him. I mean, he gets run out of, listen to this, his own throne room. He gets run out, chased out, and he has to run for his life. And the Bible says, and David was greatly distressed. Are, are you beginning to get, get how much distress there was? Not only did he have to leave the throne room, he was anointed king, couldn't sit on his throne. He had to uh, literally play music for the guy that was seated on his throne. And the guy that was seated on his throne tried to kill him, and he had to run for his life, and he was out in the wilderness living in caves trying to stay alive. And they chased him so much that he couldn't even stay in the nation of Israel. He ended up going to, uh, uh, to the Philistines and living with a man called Achish, the king there. And Achish, he, he brought him in, and he says, Achish says, I don't trust you, David. And David said, I'll be loyal. And he went out and he, he fought with the Amalekites and so forth and brought in booty and gave it to, to Achish. And Achish says, well, he's being loyal. i tell you what I'll do, David. I'll give you and your mighty men a, uh, a little village that you can live in, Ziglag. And so they lived in Ziglag. So now he can't even stay in his own country. He's having to live with the enemy. And the Bible says, and David was greatly distressed. I want you to get this. This is a long introduction, short message, okay? David was distressed beyond understanding. And then a war broke out between the Philistines and Israel. And when the war broke out and, and the battle was getting set in array, they had all of the kings of Philistia on this hill and all of Israel on this hill. And they were facing each other and showing how brave they were back and forth. And, and the kings over here said, man, we, we need to get some more help. And so they sent for Achish. And Achish says, hey, I know what I'll do. I'll bring David. He's got the crack soldiers in the entire world. That 600 mighty men, that's the Green Beret. That's the Navy SEALs. That's the Army Rangers. They are the top of the top of the top of the top. He says, I'll bring them. 
And so they march from from Ziglag to the battlefield. It's a three-day march. They march there. It takes them three days to get there. And as they're getting there, again, I visualize the Bible. I see all these kings of Philistia sitting on the hill. They're under a little tent there, and and they're sitting around a table, and they're waiting. They said, when is Achish going to get here? I mean, he's supposed to be here. And somebody looks up and says, oh, I think that's him coming there. And they begin to look over, and one of them says, who's that with him? And another one looks and says, well, I don't know. And they didn't have binoculars back then, and so they're, they're waiting and they're watching him come. And then finally one of them goes, that's David. And the others go, David? Wasn't he the one that was anointed king over Israel? And he's got those mighty men? And so when Achish got there, he walks up and he goes, howdy, boys. He says, are we ready for the battle? And they go, Achish, what is the matter with you? We're fighting Israel. And you bring David, and, and what are you thinking? He said, oh, well, David's been loyal. And he goes, no, no, no. The other kings say, no, 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 that isn't going to work. We're fighting Israel in front of us, and you're going to put David and his mighty men behind us? You've lost your mind. Send him home. And so they said, David, go home. Now think about it. He's king over Israel, and he can't sit on his throne. He's run out of the throne room. The king's tried to kill him. He's run for his life. He's living with the enemy. And now listen, the enemy doesn't even want him. And the Bible says, and David was greatly distressed. Are are you beginning to see some of this? He goes home, three days march. Now they've been six days literally marching. One way and then the other way, three days. And as they get home, the soldiers, now I don't know if you've done much traveling. I know Brother Marshall has. And when you drive and travel, I don't know if you do it, but I do. Uh, I, when I start getting close to home, I start perking my ears up. I'm getting, I'm getting close to home. When, when you've been gone for a week and you've missed your wife and you've missed your family and you missed your bed and, and all of the things that you miss, you start getting close to home. And I, and I know Brother Marshall doesn't do this. He obeys all of the laws. But I get a lead foot, okay? When I start getting close to home, it, my, my truck gets faster and faster and faster. And, and, and I, I try to slow it down, but it doesn't help. I mean, it just, it's got a mind of its own. It's like a horse headed for the stables, amen? And, and it starts rolling in a little faster. I, uh, I, I, and I start looking for them. And those guys were doing that. I can see them as they're coming in. They're getting closer to home. And, and they start talking about, man, I can hardly wait. What's that smell? I I can smell the cook fires. My wife is probably cooking supper. She knows I'm coming. And they can smell the fires. And as they're getting a little closer to home, one of them says, I see the smoke from the the cook fires. Oh, man, we're getting kind of excited. When when I pastored in Oklahoma, we started a little church in Oklahoma uh, back in the 80s. and, and, And I would drive to Springfield all the time. And on the way back, you'd go through Drumright. I don't know anybody know anything about Oklahoma. Drumright is 10 miles from Cushing. And I was in Cushing. And when I'd get to Drumright, I knew I was close to home. Man, and, and as you'd top those little hills, I would be straining my neck looking because I knew, I knew when I saw my landmark that I was home. You know what the landmark was? Them golden arches, amen? Right on the edge of town, there was a McDonald's. When I saw the golden arches, I knew I was home. And so I would, I would watch for those arches. I see these soldiers as they're coming home, and they're, they're kind of picking up the pace a little bit. They're getting closer to home, and, and they start straining to look over the hills. They go, man, I, I can hardly wait to get there. Man, I, one of them looks at the other, and he says, I got this little girl. Uh, listen, she will, she will come up. Her name is Mary, and she comes up to me, and she grabs my leg, and she 
she hugs my leg and she says, I love you, daddy. And, and, and I pick her up and, and she hugs my neck and she kisses me here on the side of the neck. And man, I can hardly wait to get home. And the other one says, yeah, my little boy, I can hardly wait to get home. When I get home, the first thing he's going to want to do is go out and play pitch and catch. And man, I, I can hardly wait to get home. And, and they top that last hill and they see the smoke coming and, and they top that last hill and they look down in there and Siglag's gone. It's burned. All of the people are gone. The wives are gone. The children are gone. All of the furniture's gone. All the goodies are gone. Everything's gone. It would be like you going home tonight and as you turn the corner to your house, you see fire trucks sitting in the road and you've lost everything. But you haven't lost everything. Your family's here with you. David lost everything. Everything. And the Bible says, and David was greatly distressed. Are, are you beginning to get the picture? David lost everything. He lost it all. Everything was gone. He was, the Bible says that they wept till they had no more power to weep. Now, you got that picture. I want you to drop down with me now to verse number 18. And the Bible says in verse number 18, and David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. And David rescued his two wives, and there was nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil, nor anything that they had taken to them. Listen to this. David recovered all. Now, this is your missions month. You've had three Sundays. I think this is the third Sunday, isn't it, for your missions month. You've been talking about missions for three weeks. Now, I, I'm a missionary. I've been in lots of missions conferences. And we preachers, there's a, there's a story about a boy that him and his a preacher's son and the preacher said something in the pulpit about what his family was going to do. And when the service was over with, his son asked him, he says, Daddy, were you telling the truth or were you just preaching? Okay. <laughs> No, preachers don't lie, or they try. Most, let me rephrase it, preachers shouldn't lie, okay? That doesn't mean they don't always abide by that. But I want to tell you something. Preachers in missions conferences tell you things that you might think are a little ridiculous. They'll say things like, you can't outgive God. You ever heard that? I bet preacher says that. Okay. And he's right. You can't outgive God. And I've heard in missions conference, okay, if you'll give to God, if you'll put on your faith promise what you're going to do, God will see to it that you have it. And I've heard stories, and I'm sure you have too, about this guy walking to church. He's coming to church. He says, God, I don't know what I'm going to do for my missions. I just, I, I, I said I faith promised $20, but God, I just don't have it. And, and he's walking across the church parking lot and looks down, there's a $20 bill blowing across the church parking lot. And so God gave him his faith promise. Let, let me stop right here on a second message. I had first one a while ago about music. I want to give you a second one here. You don't give faith promise as God gives it to you. You give that first and expect God to take care of the rest. Okay? It's not a, well, God, I'm going to faith promise $20. You've got to give it to me. If you don't give it to me, I'm not going to give it. No, if you faith promise, you give it, and then say, God, now I gave it. You're going to have to take care of the rest. 
any rate, that was sermon number two. So I've heard all these stories, okay? But let me tell you the truth, okay? Now, those guys are not lying to you, but I want to tell you the other truth, okay? Here's a guy. He says, I'm going to, and by the way, if it's faith promise, if it's faith, it means you can't write it down and figure it out. Okay, if you can figure it out on pencil and paper, it ain't faith. And so you stretch yourself. You, you listen to all of this stuff about faith promise, and you go, yes, God, I'm going to stretch myself. And you pray and say, God, what do you want me to give? And God gives you a number that is absolutely out of this world that you think it's an impossibility. I can't do it. And, and you stretch yourself, and you say, God, I don't know how we're going to do this, but, but we're going to do it. And you give your tithe, and then you, or you pay your tithe, and then you give your faith promise. And once you give your faith promise, you had not got two nickels to rub together. And you think, Lord, I, I don't know how we're going to survive, but here it is and you put it in the offering plate. And the first week goes good. And you survive just fine. And everything's going good. And you go, Phew, we made it. And the second week rolls around and you do your faith promise and you do your tithe and, and you're able to pay the bills. And the second week works fine. And the third week works fine. And so you're going, Phew, this is going to work after all. And on Monday morning after the third week, you get up and you go out to get in your pickup to go to work. It's about 7 o'clock in the morning. You stick the key in the ignition of that pickup, and you go, rim, 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 boom, and the engine blows up in the truck. And you go, but God, you said if I gave the faith promise, you'd take care of me, and now the engine's blown in my truck. And if you're nice and quiet and polite like I am, you get out and slam the door, kick the fender on the way by. You're mad at the world. You're mad at God. You're saying, God, I don't understand this. How in the world did this happen? And you go storming in the house. And as you go in the house, you have to go through the garage and through the utility room to get into the kitchen. Now, you're cheap. So you got one of them old phones that's hanging on the wall. Okay, that, that's got that long 40-foot cord on it that coils up and gets tangled up and everything. Remember those things? How many of you remember them? Most of the kids don't even know how to operate one of them. I saw a video the other day of they took some 15-year-old boys and they gave them a dial-up phone and told them to make a phone call. You should have seen them. They were poking the numbers. Nothing was happening. They couldn't figure out what to do. Finally, somebody said, well, let's turn it. So they turned it and they went, hey, that works. They turned it and nothing happened. So they started over. It took them 30 minutes and they never did make a phone call. I, they couldn't figure out how to operate it. But anyway, you got one of them old-fashioned phones with a cord on it. And as you go storming in the house, you go storming in so you can call somebody to come pick you up to take you to work. Now, as you walk through the kitchen, you notice your wife's sitting at the kitchen table there. But you don't think anything about it, and you go over and you pick up the phone. And you start to call your buddy to come pick you up. And then you look over, and your wife is crying. And you go, honey, what's the matter? And she goes, the washing machine. Now, you came through the utility room, and you didn't even notice, but you left the door open, and you look over there, and water squirting this high out of the washer. And your feet are wet because the water's ankle deep in the, in the laundry room. And you go, no! And you take the phone, and you go, no! And you slam the phone on the receiver, and the whole thing falls off the wall onto the floor. And you go, you got to be kidding! And you turn around, and you grab the refrigerator, and you go, ah, boom! And it goes, chooka, chooka, chooka and it quits. Your engine's gone, the washer's broken, the telephone's laying on the floor, and the refrigerator has quit. And you say, oh, you cannot give God. Amen? Let me tell you what happened. Ziglag just hit. Ziglag just hit.
And if you think you're going to get away without having a zigzag, you're mistaken. But now here, here's where the message comes in, okay? David lost it all, just like you. And listen, verse number 18 says, and David recovered all. And I'm here this evening to tell you that if you'll do what David did, you'll get it all back. Well, what did David do, Brother Larry? Three things. Three things David did that got it all back. I want you to notice. The Bible says in verse number 6, David was greatly distressed. For the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Now, I don't mean encourage you like some of these television evangelists tell you, okay? Some of these television evangelists tell you, when something happens to you, it's all good. And you just have to say, thank you, Jesus. You have, a, you have a, a wreck on your bicycle or your motorcycle and, and a car runs into you and you break your leg and the bone's sticking out of your leg and the blood's squirting everywhere and you're supposed to sit there and say, thank you, Jesus. I'm sorry, I can't buy into that. I'm sorry, that just doesn't work for me. I mean, uh, something falls out of the sky and hits you on the head and knocks you bonkers and you go, thank you, Jesus. I think some of these people are lunatic. You want to know the truth of the matter. You thank God for every bad thing that happens in your life? Of course not. So how did he encourage himself? What did he do to encourage himself? I'll tell you what he did. He was just like you and me. He probably sat in the ashes. And as he's sitting in the ashes and, and he's sitting there, he's going, God, why are you letting this happen? I mean, I, I faith promised and the engine blew up in my truck. God, why are you letting this happen? I faith promised and, and God, the refrigerator's gone. The washer's gone. God, why is this happening to me? I'm sure David, being human, was saying the same thing. God, I don't understand why this is happening. I don't get it, God. Why? He says, and he looks at God and he says, God, I, I don't understand. I remember when I was a little boy and, and I was taking care of the sheep. God, you never let this stuff happen. When the, when, when the, the bear came, I, I slew him. And when the lion came, I reached out and grabbed him by the beard and I slew him. God, and I, and, and I remember a little later when things got a little tougher and I had to go fight Goliath. God, I, I, I just took a sling and a stone and, and God, you guided that stone and you killed old Goliath. And then I went up and cut his head off. God, you took care of that. And later, other issues came up and God, you took care of that. Come to think of it, God, every time I had a problem, you took care of it. Come to think of it, God, when I was little and I had little problems, you gave me little miracles. And, and then when I got bigger and I got bigger problems, you gave me bigger miracles. Uh, God, I ain't never had a problem like this. I can hardly wait to see what kind of miracle you're going to do to fix this. Can, can, can you see it? He encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And if you'll do that, let me tell you something. God has never let you down. I look around this room, and most of us, we've never missed a meal. Preacher asked me last night, he said, he sent me a text, he said, Preacher, are you hungry? And I said, one good look at me will tell you, I'm always hungry. God's never let me down, and he's never let you down. I look around this room, and some of you ain't been hungry in a long time. 
Amen. I'm, I'm not saying anything because I'm right there with you. Amen. What are you saying? God's never let you down. When the crisis comes in your life, look at what he's already done for you. Man, he took care of all of your problems before. What makes you think in your wildest dream he can't take care of this one? He can. He encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And he said, okay, God, I know you can do. I, I like that song. Heartland, there's a, there's a group there that sings a group song. It says, I know that God can do it to him. There's nothing to it. I know he'll see you through it. Great victory. And when the storm is raging, he is the rock of eight. Don't you wish I could sing? <sighs> Who said that? Amen. Let me tell you something. God's able. He can do it. David sat there and he said, okay, God, I believe you can handle this. I know you can take care of this. I'm sitting in these ashes and I'm discouraged. But God, I know you can handle it. God, what do you want me to do? Here's the next step. It says, <laughs> look with me if you will. It says, and David encouraged himself in the Lord his God, verse 6, verse 7. And David said to Abathar the priest, bring hither the ephod. And Abathar brought thither the ephod to David, and David inquired at the Lord. The very first thing you need to do when you have a crisis in your life is encourage yourself in God, and then secondly, inquire at the Lord. Now let me tell you something. You're never going to inquire until you encourage. When I went to Cushing, Oklahoma, we started a church there. And there was one man. <laughs> Brother Cargill was his name. He and his wife, Freda. Good people. Oklahoma is a hard place to get to know people. They're kind of closed off. And especially in a little town like Cushing. It was, nobody really accepted me when I first went there. And, and it was really hard getting started. But Brother Cargill, Jim Cargill was his name. Jim, he was probably 53 at the time, 54. Man, he loved me. He always had a chaw snuff in his lip, but he would come up to me and he'd say, Puicha, we love you. And he'd stuff a $100 bill in my shirt pocket because we didn't have food or groceries or money. And, and he'd, he'd take care of me. Uh, he, he was just a blessing. And one day I was driving down Main Street in Cushing, and, and it's just a little bitty town, not, not a whole lot of people there. If you know anything about it, it's just a small place. And, and, and I'm driving down the street, and I see one of our church members coming up the street, and he's flashing his lights, and he's pulling over in my lane. And I go, what in the world? So I pull off on the side of the road, and he pulls over, and he says, Jim is in the hospital. Get to the hospital. And so, man, I... I, I take off and head for the hospital and I walk in there and, and they've got him in intensive care there in Cushing and he's had a heart attack and they said we're going to medevac him to Tulsa and they brought in the helicopter and they medevaced him to Tulsa and, and uh, uh, while they're, they're putting him on the helicopter uh, I jumped in the car and headed for Tulsa and, and I drove there they took the family in the helicopter but I couldn't go and so I drove there and I got to the hospital in Tulsa and I went into the hospital and I went into the emergency area and they said he's up in intensive care and so I went up to intensive care and I walked in there and, and the family was sitting there in the little waiting area and I walked in and uh, uh, I, I, they said they won't 
won't let us in. And I said, well, they'll let me in. They'll let preachers go into these places. And so I went up and said, I'm his pastor. I want to go see him. And, and so they said, oh, come on in. And they brought me in. And, and I went, and he was, he had, they had cotton balls taped over his eyes and they had him on IVs and all kinds of wires and doohickeys and and uh, he was kind of unconscious there and and uh, I said well is he stable and I said we're trying to get him stable and I said okay and so I went back out and his wife Freda she says pastor can can I go in and see him and I said Freda they're not going to let you in and she says well I just want to see him and I said well when the doors open up if you look the last bed on the right, that's, that's his bed. You'll be able to see him. And about that time, light started flashing over that door. And the PA system came on and said, code blue, code blue. And that doors opened up. People began to run in and out of there. And they were all gathering up around his bed. I would to God I had never told her which bed he was in at that point. And they're all gathering around the bed and they're working on him. And then all of a sudden, after about 10 minutes, the light went out. PA system went quiet. One of the nurses came out and she said, could we have the Cargill family over in this little room over here? You ever been there, preacher? Man, I, I, I just fresh graduated Bible college. By the way, they don't teach you that stuff in Bible college. We went off in that little room and I'm standing behind Freda when the doctor came in. And the doctor looked at her and said, Mrs. Cargill, we did everything we could. What do you say? What do you say to that? I mean, I'm there as a pastor. I'm supposed to be encouragement to her. And I sat there and I thought, what do I do? Man, they don't teach you that in Bible college. I put my hand on her shoulder from behind her. And I said, Freda, let's pray. And she turned around and looked at me with eyes that would have killed me. She, she could have killed me with those eyes. And she said, I don't want to pray. Now, this is a good godly lady. She loved the Lord. You know the problem? She hadn't encouraged herself in the Lord yet. You are not going to seek God's face until you know God can fix it. You got to encourage yourself for it's got to be done in that order. David encouraged himself and then he said, God, what do you want me to do? Amen. Second thing about encouraging yourself after you encourage yourself, you inquire at the Lord. God will answer you when you inquire. And you know what he'll tell you? He'll t here's what'll happen, okay? Your your engine's blown up in your trunk. The washer's gone. The, the refrigerator is going boom, and, and there's water squirting everywhere. And you say, God, I know you can fix this. God, what do you want me to do? Now, here's the answer. Are you ready? Quit giving to missions. You know better than that, don't you? There is no way God's going to say that. But some of you right here in this room, and I don't know any of you, when the crisis comes, that's what you're going to do. Amen, Brother Larry. You know what? That's not going to be the answer. And you say, well, what is the answer? Quit tithing. That's not the answer. 
God is never going to tell you to stop. Let me tell you something. God knew your engine was going to blow up before he told you what to give to faith promise. God knew your refrigerator was going to go out. He knew your washer was going to go out. He knew all of that. All you got to do is say, God, I want to be faithful. I want to do what you tell me to do. So what is it then, Brother Larry, when you inquire at the Lord? It'll be the toughest thing you've ever done in your life. David said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And here's where the answer was. David, get up, get your sword, get your mighty men, go chase that 100,000 Amalekites with your 600 soldiers and get your stuff back. And David goes, Lord, have you looked around? My 600 mighty men, they've wept till they had no more power to weep. Have you ever wept till you couldn't get the tears to come anymore? You're drained. Your energy's gone. You don't even want to get up and go to the door. Doorbell rings and you just stare at it. You've got no energy at all. Phone rings and you go, I sure wish somebody would answer that. Because you've got no energy at all. That's what they were going through. And God says, get up and go get them. It'll be the toughest thing you've ever done. Your refrigerator, your washer machine quit. Let me tell you what the answer might be. Get a scrub board. Your engine blew up on your truck. God might say, walk a while. I don't know what the answer is going to be, but I know it'll be tough. It's whatever it is. So what do you do? You do what God says to. Man, I love that message this morning. Obedience. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Obey God. No matter what. Get up and go. So David turns around and looks at his mighty men. He says, throw down those rocks because they were ready to kill him. He says, throw down those rocks, pick up your spears, we're going to go get them. And they went, okay. And they dropped the rocks, they picked up their spears and said, let's go. But remember, they were wore out, which is my third point. Number one, you encourage yourself in the Lord your God. Number two, he inquired at the Lord his God. And number three, he involved himself in what God said do. He just did it. He just got up and did it. It didn't make sense. It wasn't logical. I mean, 600 going after 100,000 didn't make any sense. But God said it. That settles it. I'm going to do it. You, you seen that bumper sticker? God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Well, that's a lie. God said it. That settles it. And it doesn't matter one bit whether you believe it. That settles it. Get up and go do it. David said, let's go. And they got to the river. And uh, listen, 200 of them couldn't even cross the river. Their energy was so gone, they couldn't go across the river. And David said, fine, just wait here, we'll go. And he took the 400 men, and the Bible said he recovered all. Verse number 18. We're almost done here. The Bible says in verse number 18, And David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. And David rescued his two wives, uh, uh, and, and there was nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil nor anything that they had taken to them. David recovered all. Now listen to this. And David took all the flocks and the herds which they drove before those other cattle and said, This is David's spoil. He not only got back what he lost... He got everything that they had taken from everybody else. He got more than he lost. Let me tell you something. If you will encourage yourself in the Lord your God, if you will inquire at what God wants you to do, and then if you'll do it, you, you may not get your truck fixed. You may get a brand new truck. Amen? You, you, you may not get your washing machine fixed. God will give you a brand new washer dryer set. You, you, you may not get a, a, your refrigerator fixed. 
He'll give you a big double wide, big refrigerator. Listen, he'll give you more than you lost. God is faithful. You hear me? God is faithful. You do what God says, God will give you more than you ever lost. One more thing. I said I was done, but now I'm almost. When they came marching back, on the way back. Now, I, when I was a kid in high school, I played football. Okay, I don't know if anybody played football. Anybody here play football? Okay. Didn't you hate those quitters? I mean, we, we, when we would play football, we had a thing called two-a-days. Did you guys ever have two-a-days? That's the most destructive thing that they ever did to humanity, two-a-days. Okay, you'd, you'd go at 6 o'clock in the morning and you'd, you'd practice for an hour or two, and then you'd go at 6 o'clock in the evening and you'd practice for an hour or two. And the whole idea was to whittle down the team to get to who the team was going to be. And people would quit. They'd drop out. We used to play a thing called bull in the ring. You guys ever do that? What you do with bull in the ring is you put one guy in the middle and you give everybody around the circle with a number. And the guy in the middle is standing there and he's like this going. And the coach has got a whistle. And he blows the whistle and he goes, number 21. And whoever is number 21 comes running in and hits you. And you don't know where 21's at. Or you might have memorized them, but by the time you get halfway through this game, you've already forgotten. Your, your head's dizzy. You don't know what's going on. 21 runs in and smack, he hits you. And then he hollers, seven. And number seven comes running in. And then he hollers, 42. And 42 runs in. And then the coach really gets carried away and he goes, 36, 15, 7, 9, 22, 23. And it's going that fast, and you're just bang, bang, bang. And, and listen, the whole idea is to make that guy quit. I mean, coach is weeding out people. He's getting rid of them. And we settled, whittled a team down from about 40 volunteers to about 15 people that really want to play. Amen? And, and that's the whole idea of it. And here's what's happening. The children of Israel, I hated quitters. And the children of Israel are coming back from the battle. They've got all this booty. And they look at David, and they said, David... Those 200 guys that quit, you give them their wives, give them their kids, and get them out of here. They're a bunch of low-life quitters. And David said, not so. They're part of our family. And we're going to share with them just like they went to the battle. And when he got there, he told those 200 men, he said, we're going to share with you. And they said, but David, we quit. And David said, that's okay. I still love you. David's just like my God. You may have quit somewhere along the way. Listen to me. God still loves you. All he wants you to do is get back in the saddle. Those guys came running up to David. I can see them. They threw their arms around him and they said, David, David, I'll never quit on you again. David, I will always be there. Though everybody else quits, I'm going to be there because... David, you forgave me. You showed me mercy. I'll never quit again. That's all God wants from you. Now listen, you're going to go through a zigzag somewhere. If you stretch yourself for faith promise, God's going to test you. He's going to let you be tested. And you're going to go through a zigzag. And when you go through the zigzag, it's going to be tough. We're going to give an invitation in just a moment. And when we give that invitation... If you, ha listen, if you've never been through a zigzag, you need to get down to an old-fashioned altar and pray and say, thank you, God, I've never been through it, but I know one's coming. Help. 
If you've been through a zigzag and you came through successful, you need to get to an old-fashioned altar and say, thank you, God, for taking me through it because you didn't do it. And if you've been through a zigzag and you failed, God still loves you. Get to an old-fashioned altar and say, God, I want to get back in the battle. I want to get back in the battle. You say, well, Brother Larry, I don't want a zigzag. Well, let me tell you, if you don't want a zigzag, don't get saved. Because if you get saved, you're going to have a zigzag. That's a guarantee. You say, Brother Larry, are you saying don't get saved? If you don't want a zigzag, you won't have, if you don't get saved, you won't have zigzag. You'll have hell, and that's worse. I'd rather have a zigzag any day than hell. Amen? What are you saying, Brother Larry? Listen, we're going to give an invitation. Zigzag's coming. You're stepping out by faith to do faith promise. Zigzag's coming. You're stretching yourself. Zigzag's coming. Zigzag is on the way. You need to get to an altar and say, God, help. Would you do that? Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, God, we come before your throne. And I, God, I thank you for the, your mercy and goodness. God, I pray that you'll be with the invitation tonight. God, zigzag's coming. We all go through it. God, I pray that you'll give grace and mercy and encouragement. That if we'll encourage ourselves and inquire at you, and then, Father, involve ourselves and do what you said do, you'll see us through. God, may you get glory from this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand with heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. Listen, zigzag is coming in your life. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. You're going to go through a zigzag. Listen, if, if you face a zigzag and you do it without God, you will fail. You need to be down at an altar and say, God, help me through zigzag. Maybe you've been through a zigzag. You need to come and say, God, thank you for taking me through it. Maybe you failed at a zigzag. You can come and say, God, help me. Maybe you're not saved. Listen, why don't you come and let me show you or have someone show you how you can know for sure you're headed for heaven? Listen, zigzag is nothing compared to hell. Why don't you come? Would you do that?